Hello, mixtresses and mixters. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 2, Episode something, The Dark Age. <laughs> what episode are we on here? Uh, I should know this. I'm losing track. It is episode... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of season two. Okay, um, let's do the description of the episode first. This is according to the book, The Complete Slayer. Giles identifies a body outside found at the school as Philip, an old friend from London. Buffy prevents a vampire attack on the hospital blood supplies with Angel's help, but is surprised that Giles didn't turn up as planned. At his apartment, she finds him drinking. Buffy finds Ethan Rain, who tells her about the mark of Igon that both he and Giles wear. Buffy locks the resurrected Philip into the bookcase while Giles argues with Ethan, Ethan, but they are disrupted by Philip breaking open the doors. He dissolves into a liquid puddle, which touches Jenny's unconscious body, transforming her into Igon. Giles explains that in their youth, he and his friends conjured up the demon who is trying to kill everyone who wears his mark. Ethan knocks Buffy out and tattoos her, burning off his own tattoo with acid. Igon enters Angel's body, but is destroyed by the demon within. Okay. I have complicated feelings towards this episode because, on the one hand, we get to hear some of... Giles is past, and Giles is one of my very favorite characters in fiction of all time. Um, if I were to pick, like, a father figure from fiction, Giles would be the one. Um, you know, for my own personal life. But this, but on the other hand, this episode is executed poorly, I think. Um, so, as I said, just just two episodes ago, we had another um, Ethan Rain episode. So this is a new character just introduced that is that knows Giles from his past. It's one of Giles' old friends, and he worships chaos. So every time he blows into town, something crazy happens. There are four Ethan Rain episodes throughout the Buffy series. Um, if this is the first time you're listening to one of my podcasts about Buffy, um, it is not a spoiler-free podcast. There's your warning. So um, there are four episodes with Ethan Rain. We just got Halloween a couple episodes ago. There's this one. There's one in season three called Band Candy. Um, that it's really fun. Um, it's one of my very favorite episodes because he, um, like bewitches a bunch of candy that, that the kids have to sell to like, as a fundraiser for the school band. And it turns all the adults in town that eat the candy into, um, like teenager, the teenage versions of themselves. Um, so that's another one where we get an insight into Giles's past. Pretty much all the Ethan Rain episodes, save for Halloween, have something to do with learning about Giles's past through the vehicle of Ethan coming in to <laughs> wreak total chaos on everyone. Um, and then there's an episode in season four where um, Ethan, like, spikes Giles's cocktail or beer or something. They go out for a drink together and, um, which is a really fun little conversation. Let's not get sidetracked by that. But, um, and then he wakes up the next morning as a demon. And so he goes through the day being a demon and we, uh, and Buffy has to save him. So, yeah, in every single one of the Ethan Rain episodes, except Halloween, there um, it has something to do with Giles and his past, and it ends up being a role reversal. So Buffy ends up having to take charge and be the quote-unquote grown-up to save Giles from whatever bullshit he's in the middle of. And that dynamic in this episode is the only thing that makes this episode not terrible. Um, Buffy and Giles's relationship is, um, 
is furthered in this episode. So it's like, but the parts that are executed poorly, I think, first of all, just a quick what's up with Mixtress. Just so you guys know, I'm really sorry this episode isn't going up until Monday when my general plan is to have these episodes up on the day that the um, the Buffy episodes originally aired. But um, I could not do that this week because I had um, a 10-hour workday on Friday and I was just so brain dead when I got home. I had to put on the radio show and there was just no way I was going to do a 10-hour workday, a radio show, and a podcast all in one day. So um, unfortunately, the podcast was the thing that got cut from that for better or worse. So most of the time I will be consistent and have these episodes up on the right day, but this is a project. Um, I guess I didn't mention that yet. So if this is the first time you're ever listening to one of my podcasts on Buffy, I, um, I watch every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after it originally aired. And, um, usually the podcast is up that same day, but today it's up three days later. So whatever, sometimes that's going to happen, but hopefully my track record will be like 95% of the time I have it up on the correct day, but sometimes life happens. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I fear that my review of this episode is not going to be as thorough as possible because because of all the time constraints. I also worked all weekend after having a 10-hour day on Friday. Um, so it's just been hard for me to get this done. I watched this episode twice in preparation, um, like I always do. I watched it at least twice, once on Thursday once on Friday. So it has been three days since I watched it. So I feel like it's not quite as fresh in my mind as it normally is, but that's what we're working with right now. So just so you know, this might not be the best episode of my podcast, but um, that's all right. We're going to power through. There's going to be some that just don't measure up and that happens. So um, what I want to say overall about this episode the relationship between Buffy and Giles, I like Buffy's end of it, but Giles acts very uncharacteristic in this episode. And I understand the the general concept behind, the general motivation behind everything that happens in this episode, even if I don't agree with it, is sound. Like, they they needed to tell the story of Ripper. They needed to tell the story that Giles had, you know, rebelliousness in his past. They needed to tell that story. And I like the way they decided to tell it, but the way that they had Giles acting in this episode was slightly off. I understand the, so basically he starts having nightmares about his past, about this demon Igon. And what it, essentially the story comes out as being, he and several of his friends um, would go into like a trance state and they would summon this particular demon to like they would take turns having this demon inhabit them. And the way that this demon could inhabit someone is if they were dead or unconscious. So they would basically make themselves pass out and then the demon would um, go into the body of whoever's passed out in the group. And it was like a big high. So this is the first time in the series of Buffy, I think, as far as I can remember, that magic is basically, um, stepping in as a metaphor for drugs. So this is a theme that will come up often throughout the series, but I think this is the first time that's happened. Um, so he, he, when he finally opens up to Buffy and tells her what the fuck's going on, he, um, says, you know, it was an extraordinary high, you know, doing this whole thing. So what I disagree with about this episode is the way that Giles treats Buffy throughout the episode. He, I understand that he, he's very nervous because this demon is obviously coming up again for whatever reason and killing all of his friends. So he's very depressed and he's drinking and he wants to protect Buffy. So he tries and he knows that it's, this is all his own fault and he's trying to shut her out. So he keeps like, she comes over to his house, like to ask him why he was late whenever they were supposed to meet to like intercept that 
blood whatever that blood stealing thing that some vampires were doing in the beginning so she like goes to see if he's okay because he was late and he's never late and he's like uh buffy uh yeah i'll I'll see you on monday and just like slams the door in her face um and then later she calls him the next morning like dude i'm worried about you ethan's here what the fuck's going on giles um and he's like, uh, unless this is an emergency, I'll see you on Monday. And he tries to hang up on her immediately. Like, he answers the phone. And when he finds out it's Buffy, he's like, um, if this is, unless this is an emergency, I'll see you on Monday. And, like, he just completely, like, throws his entire relationship with Buffy out the window in a motivation of protecting her. But I think it was a little, it was done a little over the top. I think they could have dialed that back a little bit. Him just being completely annoyed with her because she's concerned about him. It was just a little too much. I think they could have just dialed it back just a little bit. Like, I think overall what they were doing was the right thing. I think this is the way that Giles' character would react in this circumstance. But it was just too over the top. And the other thing that was too over the top is the entire relationship between Giles and Jenny in this episode it bothers me so much flames sorry um I'm just I keep doing that like every episode I'm quoting clue (laughs) Madeline Kahn forever babies okay so the thing with Giles and Jenny god (laughs) it's so bad so the episode there's a lot of Giles and Jenny in this episode because Igon eventually um possesses Jenny and um so that plot point again the plot points in this episode I like but the way they execute them I don't like so in the beginning of the episode Jenny's all like hey you want to meet tomorrow night and he's like oh you want to go out and she's like no I want to stay in and make you squirm you sexy funny duddy so it's like she's really aggressive in the beginning which is off-putting to me and I think most of the whole Giles Jenny relationship thing the thing that's off-putting to me is that I'm sorry she's probably not listening so I don't think that she'll be upset by this and she has since stopped being an actress but I think Robia Lamorte who plays um or Lamort or however you say it um that plays Jenny is not a very good actress so I am, I mean, it's heartbreaking when they kill her later in the season, but they had to. And maybe this is the episode when they realized that they had to. It's possible because she just isn't a very good actress. And the more she's involved, the more you notice that she just, she doesn't really I don't buy her as a teacher. I don't buy her as a love interest. The only time she's really doing a good job opposite Anthony Stewart Head, who plays Giles, is whenever she's kind of teasing him and they're sort of walking down a hallway quipping at each other. That's good. I like those moments. But whenever she's trying to be sexy, I don't buy it whenever she's trying to be a demon. I don't buy it. It's all very over the top. And all of the fucking scenes where... So essentially, Jenny's experience in this episode. She she wants to do Giles super hard. She thinks he's sexy. <laughs> it's important to set up that she thinks he's sexy, I guess. Because just Anthony Stewart Head isn't enough for us to know that. I think it is. Um... And then she gets knocked out and she gets um, possessed by the demon. And Giles is like taking care of her and she's being super like, oh yeah, please take me home. My head hurts. And she's like super whiny and super damsely. Like immediately. She goes straight from being like techno-pagan, Jenny techno-pagan, to Jenny (laughs) techno-wimp. to Jenny techno demon um it's just too much she's very over the top I don't like her acting in this and Giles is essentially 
he forgets about everyone else except Jenny in this episode. His only concern is taking care of Jenny. Like at the very end, whenever everything is resolved and he's gonna like take Jenny home and, you know, make sure she's okay because the demon just left her body and it's a really traumatizing experience and she's gonna have PTSD and all that shit I'm on board with. She would have PTSD after that experience. I understand the consequences of that whole thing. He, he doesn't ask, you know, anyone else if they're okay. He doesn't ask Buffy if she's okay who, after she's been forcibly tied up and tattooed. He doesn't, you know, ask Angel if he's okay. <laughs> he doesn't ask Cordelia and Xander if they're okay or, okay, or thank them. Um, Cordelia, Xander, and Willow, he doesn't thank them for everything that they've done for him in this episode. He just, like, asks Jenny if she's all right, and he, like, takes her home, like, as if no one else is there. I don't like that at all. That's not characteristic of Giles at all. So um, as far as the Ethan Rain episodes are concerned, which the reason that I brought all four of them up a second ago is because I was going to rank them. I think that um, the other three episodes, the other three Ethan Rain episodes are pretty solid. They go together pretty well. I would put them in spots one, two, and three. And, it, and you know, they would be so close to each other they would be sort of interchangeable but this one is definitely the worst of the four ethan rain episodes so i think it makes sense to judge them in that way but um i think what happened what happened was this episode came at a bad time during the season they're trying to cram a lot of content into the season um it's a pretty heavy season. It's one of the best seasons of Buffy. And so an episode like The Dark Age telling about Giles's past should have been a bigger priority. It should have been concentrated on more, but they had just had that Halloween episode. They just had a great episode. The last episode, the Lie to Me episode, they are about to, the next two episodes are going, to, is going to be a two-parter that's pretty heavy, pretty serious, pretty real. Um, there's like three two-parters in this season. Um, so we're about to hit the first two-parter and, um, yeah. So like they were just trying to cram too much content into the season. And for some reason, this episode did not get as much attention as it deserved. And it's directed by the same person, Bruce Seth Green, that directed Halloween just two episodes ago. So it was obvious that like, you know, the way this stuff works, the shooting schedules and all that shit, I'm sure that, you know, he essentially had to put more of his time into one or the other and he put more of his time into Halloween. So this episode just didn't get, didn't get what it deserved. It had the skeleton, it had the bones of the right thing, but it just wasn't there. So I've now told you all of my opinions about this episode. Um, let's get into some of my notes and things. Um, let's see. Oh, um, as in the research that I do for this episode, I always listen to the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, first of all. Um, I always consult my books, which I have five different um, Buffy books that I consult to see. I just look in the index to see if they mention that episode and see what they say about it, if they do. Um, and so one of my Buffy books, Buffy and Philosophy, made an interesting metaphor analogy that I had never thought about before. So they were comparing um, vampires to rapists. Like the idea that um, vamp in vampire mythology, most of the time vampires describe their victims as being just irresistible and they just couldn't stop themselves and all that shit. And I don't know why I've never thought about that. I've been a fan of vampires since the beginning of as long as I can remember. So why didn't I ever think of that? I just didn't. But then they make um, some comparisons in throughout the series, how different vampires can stop themselves, such as Angel can stop himself because he has a soul. Spike can stop himself because later he has a chip and then he has a soul. And then Harmony, who is one of Cordelia's friends and becomes a vampire at the, at the end of season three, um, when they graduate, she, um, later 
visits Cordelia whenever she's on, by that time she's on the Angel series. She visits Cordelia and they're hanging out and Cordelia's, Cordelia sort of notices that she feels like Harmony's attracted to her, but she doesn't know she's a vampire. So she thinks that Harmony's coming out to her as a lesbian, but it turns out she's coming out to her as a vampire. And she's at that point, Harmony just for no reason sort of tries to stop herself from feeding on humans at different times and she eventually becomes sort of sort of the the equivalent of a vegetarian vampire where like she doesn't have a soul or anything like that but she just sort of decides to drink the blood of animals instead of humans so harmony's another interesting case of a vampire that can control herself and that whole metaphor between vampires and rapists so i think that's that's very interesting because most vampires in this series are portrayed as just being mindless, evil beings. And then every once in a while you get to have a vampire that has some sort of personality who usually has some semblance of control over their urges, I guess. Um, so that was just an interesting point. Um, the episode starts with Buffy, Xander, and Willow playing a game anywhere but here. So like, you know. You know, the one that everybody played whenever we were kids, right? Which is really like, <laughs> it's kind of an important experiment, you know, like anytime you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, if you spend a few minutes imagining yourself somewhere else you'd rather be, it puts you in a better mindset. It just does. So that's just a fun little game. And they're making fun of Giles saying that he probably his diapers were probably tweed and all that stuff and so the episode that's the very first part of the episode um also you get an illusion later in the episode whenever Giles is explaining everything that's going on to Buffy when he finally decides to tell her everything when she's basically forced him to do it um he tells her that um he had dropped out of school at one point because his destiny was just too heavy. So this is the first and possibly, I think, only time we hear an allusion to a watcher having it being a destiny instead of just a profession. Um, they never mention this again, so I don't know if this is something we're supposed to hold on to, but um, you get you get the idea from him just saying that, that a watcher has a little bit of a semblance of a calling the same way a slayer does. Um, and he was trying to resist that calling at first, um, just like Buffy did. So that is interesting. And I wish they would have explored that concept more. I wish we would have gotten more Giles centric episodes throughout the series. Um, a show that's seven years long. I mean, this is one of my only complaints with the Buffy series in general my only like big important complaint is that we don't get enough time exploring some of the main characters and we don't get enough time exploring Giles's character. We don't get enough time exploring Willow's character or, you know, lots of even like sort of side characters. I mean, a show that is like 22 episodes a season for seven seasons long has time to have character specific episodes, but they just don't do it that often. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, what else we got on our notes here? Um, the whole the whole role reversal between Buffy and Giles is really effective in this episode. Buffy immediately notices that if Giles is late, something is wrong. And she notices immediately that he's drinking after she goes to his house to make sure he's okay she and she does not let go she does not let him push her out whereas you would think that a teenage girl you know somebody's like blowing you off and shutting the door in your face she'd be like well fine I don't care anyway and that's the way that Buffy has kind of reacted in the past but she totally just she does exactly what she needs to do in this episode. She keeps hounding him. She takes, she takes charge. She tells everybody what to do. Um, she, in fact, she like hands out assignments to everyone and Cordelia's there. Cordelia's just there now. She's 
no longer trying to resist the fact that she is a part of the group. And in this episode, there's this really cute moment where she, um, Buffy has just told Willow that she needs to do a certain thing. She's told Xander he needs to do a certain thing. Like they're in research mode. They need to figure out how to fight this thing because Giles is out. Like he's drinking. He's not okay. Uh, He's not going to be helping. They've accepted that. They're going to figure out what the fuck to do without Giles. Um, which is, this is the first time they have to figure out what to do without Giles. I think, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then (laughs) Cordelia just sort of like hops off the counter because she was sitting on the counter in the library and like just smiles at Buffy. Like she's just giving out her assignments to everyone else. And (laughs) Buffy's just like, what do you want, Cordelia? (laughs) And she's like, I care about Giles. (laughs) So... Then Buffy gives Cordelia an assignment reluctantly. Um, So that was a super cute little moment. One of, I mean, there are moments in this episode, like this episode can't just be taken out. It's not like I wouldn't recommend you skip it or anything like that, but it just has some, I don't know, just bad execution moments, essentially. So um, then, oh, um, one of the books that I read, uh, for my research, they were talking about, um, Robia Lamorte, who plays, um, Jenny. She had an anxiety attack whenever she was being put into the demon makeup, because when she becomes the demon, you know, they, they have her with extra pointy ears and some holes in her face and just like, you know, whatever, glowy contacts, all that shit. And she said that she, um, she really did not like being in the makeup, which might explain why, um, pretty much the whole time Jenny's character was the demon with the demon face and everything she it looked to me like it wasn't Jenny it was like you know an a body double or stunt double that's what I'm thinking of stunt double um it looked like it was a stunt double almost the entire time so I'm assuming that they thought they were going to put her in the makeup for most of the scenes but um she was having anxiety attacks so they didn't make her do it as much um but it seemed really inconsistent um so this is probably i just assume and this is a total assumption on my part i have no evidence that this is when they're thinking hmm maybe this chick is not cut out to be such a main character on this show um because this is one of the first times that she is you know she's in the most scenes in this episode um and we haven't seen that before she's usually just been a background character and maybe this is when they're deciding that it's not gonna work out there's lots of foreshadowing moments in this episode too um like there's a point where they're researching in the library trying to figure out how they're gonna help giles and how they're gonna kill how they're gonna get this demon out of jenny without killing her that was the big problem is that giles didn't know how it could be done um Which, I call bullshit on that. Because if he and his friends, when they were teenagers, or in their 20s, or whatever, and they were doing this whole thing, knocking each other unconscious so they could have this demon inhabit them, how did they get rid of the demon back then? How does he suddenly not know how to get rid of it without killing her? I don't... I call bullshit. So anyway, that was the big thing. So they're in the library. It's Willow... Xander and Cordelia in the library researching and trying to figure out how to help Giles and Jenny and Xander and Cordelia start fighting like like as if they totally hate each other but they're getting closer and closer to each other and you know it's just like they're on the verge of making out which is going to happen in a few episodes you know they're just going to be fighting and then they're going to suddenly be making out so they're doing some foreshadowing there um this is the moment where we get the quote my favorite quote of the episode because Willow, they're fighting and it's, you know, Cordelia and Xander are just fighting. They're not helping. And suddenly she just yells, hey, our friends are in trouble. If you two aren't with me 110%, then get the hell out of my library. <laughs> the best. Um, so let's just go ahead and we're doing things kind of out of order today. So that's my favorite quote of the episode. And my favorite outfit of the episode is what Willow is Um, wearing whenever she says my favorite quote she's wearing like a green v-neck sweater and like a short brown skirt and some tights and some sneakers I mean she's in her peak willow in green sweaters 
um, era at this point. Like they, they have figured Willow's style out at this point and it's, she's, it's great. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Um, okay. So there's that cute little moment. There's another moment of foreshadowing because the episode ends with the way they've decided to get the demon out of Jenny without killing her is that, um, Angel is going, he chokes Jenny. Um, and then the, cause the whole thing with this demon is that it jumps into the nearest dead or unconscious body in order to, um, oh, okay. Okay. I, I get it now. So Giles was saying he doesn't know how to kill the demon without killing Jenny. So the, the demon continued to exist, obviously, throughout their little experiments of, okay, I got, I got it now. I got it. Sorry. I'm a little slow. Um, so, so Angel chokes Jenny and then the demon jumps to him because, you know, he's technically dead and it can't possess him because Angel has a demon inside his body. So then like the demon inside Angel fights Igon and Angel wins. <laughs> and Igon dies. Oh, <laughs> uh, I find that like it's fine. It's fine, but it's also really stupid. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. But whatever. That's how they kill it. Um one of my um I consulted the Buffy Wikia this time as well online and it mentions that Igon doesn't actually get killed it inhabits like a dead rat nearby and says that it's mentioned later in another episode called Death and Consequences and I don't even remember that episode I've seen this show like five times like what um yeah I'm a little confused by that uh yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't remember this. I don't remember them ever mentioning Igon again, but apparently at some point they do in some episode that I don't even remember based on the title. So apparently I'm a terrible Buffy fan. Um, let's see what else we got on my notes. Oh, that whole tattoo storyline. That's another thing that bugs me. So everybody in this particular group, I guess, as a prerequisite for this um, demon being able to inhabit them, gets the mark of Igon tattooed on them. So Giles has it, Ethan has it, um, all the other people that were a part of this group that have already been killed. So pretty big death count in this episode because every single one of Giles's friends that he used to do this crazy magic shit with dies except for Ethan. Um, and Ethan is only saved because of Buffy. Um, anyway, so Ethan, since he's still in town, he hasn't left, <laughs> like, cause Giles threatened to like kick his ass, kill him or whatever. If he didn't leave whenever he was there a couple episodes ago, but he didn't leave. Um, he ties Buffy to a chair or like, it looks like a, like a massage chair, you know, like a padded or maybe it's just a bench. I don't know, whatever. He ties her to the thing and he tattoos the mark of Igon on her neck because this demon is going after everybody that has the mark. And so he's putting it on Buffy um, instead of him because he's mean. And it, I just don't like this storyline because Buffy gets a tattoo, like a full size tattoo on the back of her neck. And she wears a tiny little scarf the next day and it somehow covers it up. And she talks about how she's got to blow her entire allowance on tattoo removal. Tattoo removal costs thousands of dollars and many sessions. And they just never discuss it again. It's just like, oh, well, she obviously has enough money in her allowance to... <laughs> and she's, she does say she's been saving for some very important shoes. And now she's got to blow that on um, the tattoo. Uh, you know what? Why the fuck didn't Giles pay for her tattoo removal? This whole thing is his goddamn fault. He should have paid for that. Maybe I would have hated this storyline slightly less 
Anyway, (laughs) there's a lot of moments in this episode that just piss me the fuck off. Okay, um, what else we got? Um, we get a really cute little picture at one point whenever they're all doing research to help Giles where um, Xander finds a picture, an old picture of Giles when he was a teenager. And it's, um, or like in his 20s or whatever. I keep saying teenager, but he probably isn't actually a teenager in in most of these flashbacks and stuff. But um, the picture is actually a picture of Sid Vicious, but it's got Giles' face pasted on it. But it looks really good. Like, it's a good Photoshop job because I thought that it was just an old picture of Anthony Stewart Head because Anthony Stewart Head is sort of a, he's a musician, like he probably, his accent in real life is more like um, Spike's accent. It's more of that like uh, Cockney type accent. Um, sorry if that's not right. I, I don't know much about different accents. So I know it's considered to be a more lower class accent than the one that um, he uses as Giles, but that's his actual accent. Um, so in real life, Anthony Stewart Head sounds like James Marsters sounds, but in real life, James Marsters sounds like, you know, a cowboy or something. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. <laughs> because Anthony Stewart Head is James Marsters' accent coach on the show you know he's the one that taught him to speak like he speaks in the show he's by far anthony stewart head is the best actor in this show by far um but yeah anyway okay xander and cordelia foreshadowing i already said that oh i was i was trying to point out when angel chokes jenny that is foreshadowing too i'm sure they knew at this point that he was going to as angelus once he loses his soul he was going to break her neck and she's going to die so whenever he chokes her and the demon comes out of her um i'm sure they knew that so there's a little foreshadowing right there um yeah so that's pretty much all my notes right there. I, I basically just wrote down little things that upset me about this episode. Um, so let's see. Let's get to the ratings, maybe? The only music that's in this episode is um, in the beginning of the episode, Buffy and Giles are training, and Buffy's doing just like some cardio type stuff um, with a little step thing. And she's playing like some terrible, terrible like techno music, and it's. I love that kind of music usually, but this is actually pretty terrible. And Giles is like yelling at her saying that it's noise. They have a sweet little moment at the end where Giles kind of apologizes to Buffy for being such an ass this whole time. And Buffy says, you know, it's it's really weird to find out that grown-ups are actually people. <laughs> and So they just have a nice little moment of understanding where she essentially forgives him and she doesn't make him, I don't know, I would have made him grovel a little bit more because he was an ass to her. Not just like that he had a dark past, but that he treated her like shit whenever it came up to haunt him. That's, he needs to be a little bit more more remorseful of that. Whereas on the other hand, that same scene he goes to ask Jenny how she's doing and he really, really, really cares about how Jenny's doing and he's so, so sorry that he got her involved in this. But he's not so, so sorry that he got Buffy involved in this. Like, come on. Come on. <laughs> anyway, I, I do like the the way that they had Jenny's character react to this. Like, she... Her reaction whenever Giles asks her how she is, is, you know, like, I'm, I'm doing okay. I did leave my phone off the hook. I, she's obviously very distressed, but she's reassuring him that she is gonna be okay. Um, and he like reaches out to like touch her on the arm or something. And she, she just like pulls away from him. Um, she's not, she's not ready to be touched by him. She's, which is odd. I think that's not odd in general, but it's odd because right after the demon got pulled out of her, she was all just like, you know, a puddle in his arms and he was like practically holding her up to get her home. 
but I mean, I don't know. I guess that might be right. I don't know. Um, and they, they carry this through. Like, Jenny's not going to be okay, and they're not going to go out on another date or anything for several more episodes. Um, yeah, it's going to be a while before she recovers from this incident, and I think that is a good move um, on their part because, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, just imagine if you were... If your body was taken over by a demon, it would probably take you a couple months to recover from that experience, <laughs> you know? So I like that they really follow through with the consequences on that situation. But their motivations for doing it might be that they just realize that she's not a great actress. So let's just keep her out of it for a few episodes. Because <laughs> they really don't utilize her very much, um ever again basically like she's traumatized for a few episodes she starts coming around a little bit um and just as her and giles are rekindling their relationship angel kills her so she's really not a big part of the show ever again after this episode um unfortunately so um okay Let's get to, so I already told you my outfit is Willow with her green v-neck sweater. And she has several green v-neck sweaters. This is just, I think she wore two different green v-neck sweaters in this episode. The one that I like the best is the first one, the darker color, the not chenille. Um, but um, yeah, I, I love all, I love all of Willow's outfits in this era. The quote was, you know, Willow telling Xander and Cordelia to get the hell out of her library if they're not going to concentrate and help their friends. Um, my favorite object is, I don't, I used to know what these were called, um, but when all the scenes inside of Ethan's shop, almost every scene inside Ethan's shop, in the background you will see um, a mannequin that's missing one of its arms, but it's kind it's a, it's a mannequin torso, it's a girl, and she is kind of kind of zoptic, a little bit thick. Um, these particular mannequins, I became obsessed with them back in the day, the early days of eBay. And I used to like watch a whole bunch of different auctions for these particular mannequins because whoever the artist was or that made these particular mannequins, they're, they're very distinguishable. They all look like that. They all have that like sort of thicker body type and they just look like real people and I really liked them and I wanted to have one. I would still love to have one, but I can't remember what they're called. So if you do watch this episode and you notice that kind of chunky girl mannequin that's in the background of most of the scenes inside Ethan's shop, um, it's, it's in the background like the entire time that Buffy's getting the tattoo. Um, if you know what that was, what those are called, let me know because I would like to see... Um, they were way too expensive for me back in the day, but that was like back in the day when like all I had was like allowance money. So either they're way more expensive now, or maybe it's more doable. I don't know. Um, I would love to see, to find one of those mannequins and have one in my house because I just think they're pretty because they're real looking and they're, they're more artistic type mannequins. Like, so probably they'd be way too expensive. But um, anyway, if you know what they're called, please let me know. Radio at Gmail. Mixtress with an X radio spelled the normal way. So um, that's the object of the episode. I would pluck that mannequin right out of there. Even missing an arm and missing its legs. I'll take it. <laughs> um, the most valuable player of the episode, definitely Buffy. Because she just steps up and she takes care of shit. Her and Willow both. They step up and they take care of shit and um, when it's needed. And she did a great job. She was very mature this entire episode. She didn't even, like, chastise Giles too much for treating her like shit the whole time. She was very classy. So definitely most valuable person in this episode. My 5 by 5 ratings. Um, I almost want to make this even lower than I did initially. But um, as far as enjoyability, there are, like I said before, lots of moments that piss me off about this episode. But overall, the structure, the plot of this episode, the way that they're telling the story of Giles's past, 
I think it's a good skeleton of a episode and memories of this episode are better than actually watching it. Like in my mind, I was so excited about watching this episode. So, so excited. Um, oh, I forgot to mention something before I get to my final ratings. The, um, in Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which is the best Buffy podcast, it's better than mine. I gotta admit, but, um, they talked about, they spent a lot of time talking about how much sexual tension there is between Ethan and Giles. And they have this whole headcanon where they think that Ethan has a huge, huge crush on Giles. And especially as kids, he had a huge crush on him, but like, it was just an unrequited crush. And that's why he keeps coming to Sunnydale to bother Giles because he will never get over his crush on Giles and Giles will never reciprocate. Ethan's feelings. <laughs> and I'm totally on board with that because Ethan is just very like dripping with sexuality every time he talks to Giles. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Um, I think that they, if I were, if I awarded a sexual attention award for each episode, like they do on Buffering the Vampire Slayer, I would give it to Ethan and Giles in this episode for sure. Definitely not. Giles and Jenny. Okay. Because it's creepy. I do like it that she calls him a sexy fuddy duddy. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> so totally on board with Ethan having an unrequited crush on Giles forever and ever, because he's definitely obsessed with him. Obviously. Like, why does he keep coming to Sunnydale to fuck with Giles's life? Unless he's obsessed with him. So on board for that. I did want to mention that. Um, so my rating for this episode, as far as enjoyability, I just decided to give it a middle of the road. It's not one of my least favorite episodes of all time, and it's not one of my most favorite episodes. It really, if I were to rank every single episode of Buffy, this one would fall somewhere in the middle. It's, it's not great, but it's important to the overall plot of the series. So it gets a three. As far as conveying the message, and I didn't even really talk about that, but I really think that the message in this episode is that grown-ups are people. <laughs> and it's one of those things, like the episode starts with, you know, Buffy, Xander, and Willow talking about, you know, how Giles has probably always been a good boy. He, his diapers were tweed, you know, he's just always been good. And then they find out that that's not true by the end of the episode. And at the end of the episode, Buffy and Giles are having the conversation where, hey, she found out that a, that grown-ups are people too. And sometimes they're short-sighted and sometimes they're foolish and, you know, whatever. So that's the point of the episode, quite obviously. So I think that it conveyed that point pretty well. Um, maybe I should give it a higher score because of that. Maybe it will. I think it will. I, I originally had it as at a three, but honestly, the message of grownups are people is, is pretty evident to me. So I'll give it a four. So this episode overall gets a 12 from me. So what did you think about the dark age? It's, it's pretty fun to find out. I wish we would have had more moments of finding out about Ripper, um, the old Giles, um, because I think that's very interesting. Um, yeah, so I guess that's it for me this week. Sorry, this wasn't the best, um, review. The, um, coming up, we have the two-parter, What's My Line? So What's My Line Part 1 will be next week, or this week, this Friday. Um, and then What's My Line Part 2 will be next Friday. And then we have to wait, I think there's a week where there's no episode and then we have Ted and then we have to wait until like mid January for the next episode. So it's going to be kind of sparse pretty soon, but the two-parter coming up is very important. So we'll probably have lots to talk about. So thanks for listening. Um, if you would like to find me on social media, I am Mixtress Ray, Mixtress with an X, Ray with an E on pretty much everything on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, YouTube. Yeah, you can pretty much find me 
I, I don't know of another Mixtress Ray. So as far as I know, if you Google that, you're going to find me. Um, and if you would like to, I keep forgetting to mention this on the podcast. I um, am doing a GoFundMe in order to fund um, the costs for my podcast because it's sourced on SoundCloud and it costs me $135 a year. Um, and my radio show. My radio show has already been funded enough through the GoFundMe. So basically we're just focusing on the podcast right now. I am only $40 away from my goal to be, to have my podcast paid for through, I think it's through September of next year. Um, so if you would like to help me out on that, you can do so in many different ways. If you know me, hand me five bucks in person. I'll be eternally grateful and I'll mark it on the GoFundMe page. If you would like to, um, donate directly to the GoFundMe, the way to do that is gofundme.com slash mixtress radio. Is it? Yes. <laughs> mixtress radio. Um, and the way to donate to my PayPal, if you're more comfortable with that, is paypal.me slash mixtressray. So I would be very, very happy. I hopefully, since I only have $40 left, I will, won't have to ask you guys for money much longer. Um, so I am incredibly grateful to everyone that's donated so far. Um, it's, it's been amazing, um, having people contribute to my creative livelihood. Um, it's been awesome. So I think I'm going to do this probably every year. This is the first time I've done it and I'll probably do this every year. So if I can, you know, get my podcast and my radio show, what I owe to the places that host those things for me paid for, I will feel like I'm being paid for my creative work, which is pretty exciting. And that's never happened to me before. So thank you. Thank you to everyone. Um, I will be back not even a week from now because this is coming out on Monday. The next Buffy review will be out this Friday and it will be on What's My Line Part 1. So until then, bye!